and all who have died, that one day we will all stand before the Lord and we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And some will confess that and enter into eternal glory with Jesus forever. And others will confess that and be forever condemned to hell because in their one lifetime, they did not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. As the song goes on to say, we have one defense one righteousness, and it is not our own, not my defense that, well, Lord, I pastored a church for 10 years in Murray, Kentucky, the friendliest small town in America, and we were the friendliest church in the friendliest small town in America, and God, that's got to count for something. That's got to count. I mean, I, I let those people put up with me for, for a long time, or vice versa, and you know what God is going to say to me? I hope he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what he'll say to me? That's not what I was looking for. Not initially anyway. You know what I'm looking for? Faith in Jesus Christ. Wholehearted surrender after I repent of my sin. And this morning, I'm glad you're here. I want you to hear that message. That it is not our goodness that is our defense before the Lord. God, I was really good. (laughs) And he's going to laugh at us. He's going to laugh at us. How good were you? Were you as good as me, he'll say? Uh, Well, now that you put it in those terms, my goodness is dependent on the goodness of Jesus Christ, and he was perfect. My righteousness is dependent upon the trading out of my life for his. That's where we get it. And so my my prayer for you today, my prayer has been this week, that the Lord would, would... convict us of sin. The Lord would make us aware of our need for him like never before and that he would draw us to total repentance and throwing our lives on him. And when you do that, that's when you can sing those songs with hope. And you can look forward to the day when you confess along with your brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a great day that will be. Let's pray together if you would. Lord Jesus, this morning we do confess that you are Lord. For the glory not of us, so that we might look good here on this earth, but for the glory of God the Father, who sent the Son to die for our sins on the cross and be resurrected, that we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray for the person this morning who is battling against that truth, battling, Lord, against that conviction that today is the day that they need to give their life to Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin, call us to repentance, and set us free, that we might be the people that you have called us to be, both in this life and the next. Lord, as we turn our hearts towards your scripture, we thank you for it. We pray that you would open it up to us, that we might understand it, that we might apply it in our own lives and be made different. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were putting together what you hoped would be a great leadership group for your business, maybe you're a business owner and you say, you know what, if I really want this thing to succeed, here's the kinds of people I'm going to have to have in this spot and this spot and in that position and doing these things. Or maybe you're a school leader. I know we've got some administrators here and folks in middle school and high school and higher education. If you're putting together a great team of, of leaders and teachers What kinds of folks would you go after and try to recruit? If you're trying for your organization, you say, you know what, we're trying to serve this community in some way. We want to make sure that we've got the right people. What kinds of folks would you go after? I would say that most of us would go after people who are highly qualified. 
They've got the credentials. They've got the experience. They, they have the expertise. You wouldn't go after folks who have no idea what your business or your school or your organization is about. You, you wouldn't go after those folks. You'd want people with a proven track record. Folks who've had success everywhere they go. You think of it in terms of, of a sports team. If you're John Calipari at the University of Kentucky, and I know some of you like to pretend that you are from time to time. I know you just, you know, you, you, you want to call him up on the Monday night coaching show and tell him exactly how he should run his team, right? But if you were him and you had the opportunity to build a sports team in some way, what kinds of players, if you wanted it to be great, would you recruit? I would say you'd probably go after the best players you could get, right? Guys who have always had success, they've, they've always done well, they know the game and so on. And if you were putting together what you hoped would be the greatest ministry and evangelism team that the world has ever known, what kinds of people would you recruit? In today's world, we'd probably go after those who have had seminary training. Those who are known as biblical scholars, and they're very smart and sharp. Or maybe they've been a pastor of a really big church that has grown tremendously uh, under their tenure. Maybe you'd go after folks who, who are very talented speakers. Now, when I read the scripture, it appears to me that Jesus must have been crazy because he doesn't do any of that stuff. He's gathering his team, if you will, around him. He's recruiting his disciples and he doesn't go after anybody who's qualified except to fish and collect taxes. That's who he goes after. He, he, he doesn't go after the folks who had all the credentials and education and expertise. In fact, they don't even look like good ministers or pastors or theologians. They weren't any of those things. It's interesting when you look at the Bible story, we'll see this morning, Jesus calling his first disciples. He wasn't looking for the most qualified people he could find. He was looking for guys who would simply leverage everything for him. He, he was looking for, if you will, fishing buddies, guys who would go fishing with him for people. He was looking for guys that he could, and he certainly would, eventually mold and shape into what would be a group that would start the church and change the world forever. If you've got your Bible handy, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. The New Testament starts with Matthew and then goes to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't know anything about the Bible this morning, don't let that stop you. There should be a Bible there in front of you if you didn't bring one. And if you need one, take that one with you. We'll be happy to, to, to let you have one. We want everybody in our church to have a copy of God's Word. The Bible's divided Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament takes up about two-thirds of the space. The New Testament, about a third in the latter part. And so if you get to the New Testament, turn to Matthew, and then go a little bit to the right, you'll find the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at the Bible story this morning in our series that we've been doing all year long called Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. And we're just trying to figure out what do these stories really say? What was God really saying through the Bible stories that maybe we knew when we were growing up. Maybe if you grew up and you say, you know, it's been a while since I've been to church, but I remember going when I was a kid or I went to Bible school or something like that. You might have heard these stories. Maybe you've never been in church before. This will be all brand new to you. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life. And I hope that God speaks a brand new message to you this morning. But the Bible story we're going to look at today is Jesus calling his first disciples. Who would he call? What would he call them to? And how would he use these seemingly random dudes to change the world? That's what we're going to look at. Look at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. It says here, As he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, who was Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. 
Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Remember the old song, I will make you what? Fishers of men, fishers of men, if you what? If you come, follow me. Some of you, I won't sing it for you, but, but uh, some of you remember that song. Immediately, verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat, mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I believe what the New Testament shows us as it unfolds, as Jesus expands eventually the ministry of the the disciples, as the apostles then write the New Testament and preach and, and speak and write to the church, I believe that this initial calling that Jesus gave to these first disciples is shown in the New Testament to be the calling for all of us here today. I don't think this is just specific to those particular disciples. Now, they were called in a specific time and place, but I believe this is the call of Jesus for all of us today. And I think it's very simple. You'll see it. I didn't put blanks on it. I want you just to make sure to get this. You'll see it on your outline. The calling of Jesus, I believe, for all of us is to leverage your life for the cause of Christ, to leverage your life for the cause of Christ. Now, we're going to look at that and what it means and the implications and how we might be able to apply that. But let me tell you, first of all, what that doesn't require. You, you say, well, you know what? I tell you what, if I had, you know, if I had this and that and whatever, if I had done these things, then sure, I, you know, I'd feel qualified that Jesus could use me in some way for his kingdom purposes. But what we see in the New Testament and what we've seen throughout the history of Christianity is that there are several things that are not required. And these are not on your bulletin outline. You want to just kind of make a mental note. I think maybe it will encourage you this morning. There's no particular level of education that is required to answer the calling of Jesus. The disciples would later be called men who lacked training and education. They they were amazed, these religious leaders were in the book of Acts, that these guys, Peter and John in particular, could have such an impact and be so powerfully used by God when they had no education. They had no experience whatsoever. They were untrained. So there's no particular level of education. You say, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm too young. You know, I, I'm not, I haven't even graduated from high school yet. Or, I, you know, I, I, I didn't finish college. You know, I mean, I, I guess I, I kind of lack their credentials. Or, you know, maybe I need to get a, a seminary degree or something like that if I'm really going to understand. These disciples simply followed Jesus. And he molded and shaped them. There was no particular level of of education. There there was also, as we see in the New Testament, there was no particular standard living that was required to follow the Lord and have an impact. Jesus would call fishermen. These guys were not necessarily the most well-off, probably middle income in a lot of cases. But he would also call the very poor and the very rich. Represented here this morning is a variety of income and and, uh, and vocational levels. We have people who do everything. Folks who make a lot of money doing it. And folks who don't make very much at all. And yet all of us have been called by Jesus, I believe, to leverage our lives for him. There's also no particular social status. Fishermen were, they were, they were it was an honorable profession, but they were, these were probably some rough dudes. They, they were tough. I mean, they had to be. They're dragging fish out of the sea and so on and chucking them up onto the shore and, and cutting them up right there and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it, it's not a very glamorous kind of lifestyle. Honorable, but not glamorous. Jesus would later compare himself to a shepherd. And if you know anything about shepherding, it's a dirty job. Not everybody wanted to do that. There was no particular social status. Jesus used everybody. And there was also no particular level of goodness that was required. And I know you all probably get tired of me harping on this. I'll just be, i be straight with you. But I think I need to harp on it. 
Um, I, I think in our world today, we have convinced ourselves in American Christianity that just being good is what God wants us to do. And if I'm just good enough, then you know what? God's, God's cool with that. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll do the right things and God ultimately will bless me because I'm so good. Now we might not put it in those terms. That's kind of how we think by default. That really what God wants for me is just to be a good person. As we try to raise our children to be good members of society. And I picture again God saying, if you could be good enough, why did Jesus have to die? There's no particular level of goodness. These disciples were not good people. And so God, Jesus went and said, oh, let me just choose the best of the best. Let me just get the good guys. These were guys who, like the Bible tells us, all of us have sinned. They had sinned and need God's forgiveness. And so there's no goodness level that we're looking for this morning. So all those things are not requirements in order to leverage your life for Jesus Christ. I think what Jesus shows us are really just two main categories of things in these short few verses here of what it's going to take to leverage our lives for Jesus Christ. What did he call them to? What does it mean to leverage your life? What does that involve? The first thing is to follow closely. Follow closely. Now you'll see some stuff there if you're following along on your, on your outline. You'll see some things under there that just kind of come from these verses. When Jesus called them, the first thing he said was, follow me. Now it's interesting, he did not call them, by the way, to follow a particular organization or set of beliefs. Now, just make a note of that in your mind because when we're talking about leveraging your life for Jesus Christ and when we're talking about the call of salvation, it is not a call to simply believe certain things and leave it at that. It is a call to follow him. And involved with that is unconditional attachment. You'll see that there. Unconditional attachment. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, follow me. Then verse 18, immediately what? They left their nets and what? Followed him. And then verse 20. The sons of Zebedee, he called. They left their nets and their father and the hired men and the boat and everything and followed him. They were to follow very closely, and that meant an unconditional attachment to Jesus Christ. Now this may, you may say, well, okay, yeah, I get that. But again, what I have seen in 15 years of ministry, and you've probably seen the same thing just by paying attention, a lot of people will attach themselves to the church, will attach themselves to an identity of some sort as a Christian, as a good person, and fail to attach themselves unconditionally to Jesus, and they miss the point. I don't want you to miss the point this morning. When Jesus extends the call to follow him, it is to truly attach unconditionally to him. It's not a call simply to attend church every week, though I'm glad you're here. It's not a call to, to just do some good things and serve the community, though we try to do those things. It is a call first and foremost to follow closely by attaching ourselves to Jesus with no strings attached. I've talked with different people. And, and honestly, the best advice I can give anybody when you say, well, I want, what does it really mean? You know, how can I follow the Lord better? You know, how can I, how can I be a better Christian? What does God really want for me? I just go back to this and it is to follow Jesus with no strings attached, just unconditional attachment. Lord, whatever you want to do in and through me, do it. You ever prayed that prayer? Some of you said, no way I ain't praying that prayer. Man, oh man, that's a tough one to pray. 
But I'll tell you this, that's where true joy and peace are found in Jesus Christ is when you say, Lord, whatever it is, you do it in me and through me. No strings attached to my former life, Lord. No strings attached to the guarantees that I want for safety and security and to feel good about things. No strings attached, just following Jesus wherever he may lead. Some of you have done that. Some of you are on that path right now and you say, man, I tell you what, the Lord has taken me in and through some things that I never would have wanted to go through. But I tell you what, he has allowed me to experience him in ways that I never would have if not for these things. That's what it's all about. Attachment in a way that is radical, it would seem, to these guys. To leave everything behind and immediately follow Jesus. Unconditional attachment. The second thing they would have to do in following Jesus would be to pay the price. They would have to pay the price. Verse 18 he says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And again, in verse 18, immediately what? They left their nets. They left behind. There's no hesitation for these guys. There's no looking back. Now, what, what other gospels tell us, gospel of John and so on, they tell us that these disciples had some experience with Jesus. It wasn't just this random guy showing up on the shoreline and saying, hey guys, come on, I got something for you to do. I got a new job for you. They had some experience, but they did not hesitate when he called them. They said, yes, absolutely. But there was a price to pay. These guys had jobs. Fishing was their livelihood. They, they, they were dependent on these jobs to make a living. And their families were dependent on them and their jobs for, the living, for, that, for that living. And yet, they left their nets. The two guys, James and John, leave their father in the boat. Imagine being Zebedee. Uh, uh, okay. Now, um... See ya. Uh, you know, good luck, fellas. Imagine being him. Drop everything in this Jewish rabbi, if you will, this son of a carpenter who claims to be the Messiah, calls out to him and he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fish for something important. Like people. And they leave everything and their father's standing around with the hired guys and I wonder what the rest of their day was like. I, we don't get word of that, but I wonder what they talked about the rest of the day as their sons, as their sons and co-workers leave. They're called to abandon all attachment to worldly security. And I tell you what, I, I don't know about you all, but following Jesus and paying the price is very, very difficult. I, I really like security. The older I have gotten, some of you say, whatever, you're not old yet. I, the older I've been here, I've, I've aged 10 years since I've been here. <laughs> At least 10 years in 10 years, all right? But, but listen, the older that I've gotten, the older my kids get, the more I just like things to stay kind of the way they are. Does it make sense? I just want everything to be taken care of. I just want things to go all right. You experience that? And you know what Jesus calls us to? is to step out of all that and say, Lord, I will pay whatever price it is to follow you. And I'll, I, I think that's why we look at young people and we say, well, you know what, do all that while you're young, you know, praise God for you and whatever. But I wonder today if maybe God would be calling someone who would shock everybody and say, you know what, God's been calling me for a while. Out of where I've been, out of what has been comfortable to me, out of what is, has been just so predictable, and God is calling me to leverage my life for him in a different way. 
And maybe you'd shock everybody, but you would finally answer the call of God and say, you know what, I am so done with doing it my way. And I'm so done with just trying to make sure everything's okay. And I am willing to leave behind whatever it is that Jesus calls me to leave behind in order to truly follow him and leverage my life. Jesus wasn't calling guys here to have a little discussion about the Bible and meet every week for Bible study and so on. He's calling them to leave behind everything and attach themselves to him and pay the price to follow him. The truth be told that even if your life does not radically change and you go, everybody thinks I'm calling you to go off to mission somewhere. Oh, what are you saying? That's not even my point. But guess what? There will be a price to pay if you truly, truly, truly follow Jesus Christ. In everyday living, there will be a price to pay because there will be things you have to turn down. Because it will not be consistent with your commitment to Christ. There, there, there will be decisions that you will have to, to make that are hard decisions. You say, you know what? This is not right. According to what God has said, according to who God is, this is not right for me to do. And I'm sorry, but I am not going to do that. You'll come to a point where you have to make those decisions. There will be business deals that you're offered that you have to turn down because they would compromise your integrity before the Lord. There will be relationships that you want so badly. But you'll know from the scripture, regardless of your emotional attachment, you'll know from the scripture that, you know what, that's not right. That's not what God would have me do. And you will have to say, I cannot go down that road. And maybe for some, you'll have to abandon the profession that you have because God has called you to something different. I used to be a high school teacher and baseball coach. And, and the, the outline every week comes because that's what I, was, I was a teacher, okay? I thought I'd always really be a teacher and a baseball coach. I anticipated being the head baseball coach at my alma mater at Pleasure Ridge Park High School in Louisville, Kentucky. I had such a great experience there, and I wanted to go back and take over, and I'll be that guy. And I lasted four years until the calling of God was on me in such a way that I couldn't deny it anymore. Some of you, maybe it's time to answer the call of God toward really what he wants you to leverage your life for. They would also learn quickly, not only it was unconditional attachment, but they had to pay the price. And it was also a calling to follow closely in, into the unknown. Now, I don't want to make it seem as if God doesn't know where he's leading you. But there will be times when you won't know all that's going to happen. And, and maybe, maybe you are of an age or a stage of life or of a mindset or a personality that you say, I'm not doing anything if I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And you've never taken a risk in your life. I'll tell you this. For those of you that are like that, God will be all over you until you begin to take a risk and say, you know what? I will follow you, Lord, even though I do not know where you are leading. They went away into the unknown to follow him. These disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they didn't know exactly what they were getting into. All that Jesus said was, follow me, and what? I will, I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fish for people. Just follow me. They didn't know what they were getting into, but they went anyway. It required absolute and complete dependence on Jesus. Realizing that their deepest needs weren't just financial and physical, but spiritual. Jesus was going somewhere, and he would only eventually reveal it to them. I wonder, had they known, had they known at that time on that seashore, that one day they would be with Jesus as he prays in the garden, 
of Gethsemane right before his crucifixion, had they known that they would watch him die, had they known that they would be scared to death of what that meant for them, had they known that they, 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 they yeah, he said he was going to be raised again, but he's dead. And had they known, what would they have done? We say we want to know everything ahead of time, don't we? But I don't think we really can handle it. We simply have to follow Jesus one step at a time as he reveals the light for our path. One step at a time. At times for them it would get dangerous and it might for you as well. I've heard it said that it's always the safest place to be in the center of God's will. And I think that's true sometimes. But sometimes it's going to feel like the most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. As he leads you into something that you just don't know what's going to happen. Jesus eventually would call Peter here to step out of the boat onto the raging sea. He, he in, in centuries before, called Abraham to leave his people into a land and go to a land that and he didn't even know, the Bible says, where he was going. God called Moses to go stand before the Pharaoh and announce that it's time to let all the Israelite slaves go. And all that must have been pretty scary for all three of those guys. But I don't know anybody else who got to walk on water. And Abraham experienced God in such a way that he became the father of nations, even though he didn't know where he was going. And Moses eventually got to be part of, of the Red Sea parting and, and God's miracles. I, I've never met anybody else like that. Jesus knew that it would be tough. He eventually would pray for his disciples that God would lead them and protect them in the world, even though he wouldn't take them out of it. You may not always understand, and we know certainly the disciples didn't, but they experienced his blessing and his presence and the reassurance of his promises all along the way as they followed him into the unknown. The more closely that you follow Jesus, I believe, the more you gain knowledge of him, a desire for him, and greater love for him. You say, all right, well, you know, how, how do I do that? I mean, okay, I, I'd like to follow the Lord more closely. I'm going to give you something real simple. Not on your outline. It's just real simple. I, I would highly encourage you, if you want to follow Jesus more closely, then spend time with him every single day. The disciples went to be with Jesus every single day. Sometimes we wonder, why don't I understand the Lord? I don't know about the Bible. I can't understand it. You know, I'm not sure what God wants to do with my life. You know why sometimes that's the case? Because we ain't spend time with Jesus anytime but Sunday morning. Let's, let's shoot it straight. And I'm, I'll include myself in that sometimes. That sometimes the only time I spend time with the Lord is when I'm preparing for a sermon. <sighs> Does that freak you out? I'm as human as you are. And sometimes when I feel distant from the Lord, you know why? It's because I haven't attached myself to him all week long. Let me encourage you, spend time with him every single day. Go into the scripture. Begin to read. Begin to confess your sin before the Lord every day. Pray, the Bible says, about everything. Everything. I mean, even the stupid stuff, yes. Even the stupid stuff. Everything. Begin to pray about everything. Look at God's word for every answer in life. Confess every sin that comes in and say, Lord, you lead me wherever you would take me today. Spend time with him every day. How do you follow more closely? You follow more closely. <laughs> it's pretty simple. He called them to follow closely and also, as the second part there says, to fish daily. He said, I will make you fish for people. Now, I don't know much about fishing, I'll be honest with you. I went a couple times with my grandfather when I was a kid, and it wasn't for me. Papa liked to fish, 
I didn't. He figured that out pretty quick. He never asked me to go again. I, you know, I was terrible and didn't want to be there. We've got some pretty good fishermen here in our church, maybe some fisherwomen in our church, that you like being out on the water and you like fishing, casting that line and catching the fish. There's something exciting, I'm sure, about when that first little tug happens on the line and you wonder, did I get the one that I've been wanting for so long? And you reel it in and it's a boot. You know, it's just... But no, you, you, man, you, you fish and you spend all kinds of time and you, you're doing your best to catch that fish that you know is out there. You got to have the right equipment, of course, the right kind of boat, the right spot, the right weather. But the truth is, if you're going to be a good fisherman, you know where you got to get? Out on the water. You, you can't exactly stay on the shoreline all the time and catch the big fish. Catch the ones that are out there. You've got to get out into the water. It can be a little dangerous. You might get hurt every once in a while. That's just the way that it goes. And I think the same is true when you're fishing for people. What Jesus called them to is to get out on the water and literally fish for people. Now hear me on this. You may say, well, of course that's what Jesus called them to. But, but let me remind us that our mission isn't to win arguments. It's really not. Our mission is not to win arguments, especially online. Do you realize that nobody, nobody wrestles with a pig in the mud and enjoys it except the pig? Okay? Just understand that. If you're out trying to win people to the Lord by your great Facebook and Twitter arguments, it's not going to happen. I promise you. We're not called to win arguments. We're called to win people. We're not called to gain notoriety for how smart we are, but to gain converts for Jesus. And I'll say this, even as our church is full this morning, and we have a wonderful church. Met some young guys this morning. I said, you know what? What you see is what you get. I really believe we've got a great church, and it's very loving. But we're not called to simply build a following for our church. We're called to call people to follow Jesus Christ, to fish for people whose lives are in danger and need to be rescued by Jesus. We're called to fish for people. Remember that this week. I, I, one of the things that, that, I, that I will pray from time to time is God remind me of people. And, and God help me to see these people as you see them. Who are folks in need of your forgiveness and your salvation. Like a good fisherman, not only were they called to fish here for people that we are, but they're, we're called to, to fish, I think, with patience. It amazes me that some of you will go sit on the lake for hours. Hours. And sit there. What are you doing? I'm waiting. For what? For the fish. Man, I'd jump in after those. Let's go, you know. I know it's illegal, but, you know, shoot them. Come on. Sit there and wait all day long. Stupid fish to come. That's why I don't fish. You know I mean? I just, it's, I can't. You know, I, I, just, I don't have the patience for it. But you know what? Those of you that are good fishermen. You will sit there all day long, won't you? Because you know that's part of the key is to be patient. You take somebody like me along, and I'm ready to go after about 30 minutes. I ain't caught one this big yet. We're wasting our time. They're not jumping in the boat. It's, go. Get out of here. I'm getting sunburned anyway. This is ridiculous. 
But you know you got to be patient, don't you? You can't be rushed out there. You can't quit just because you didn't catch a fish in the first 30 minutes. You've got to be patient. And like a good fisherman, when we are dealing with people and leveraging our lives to fish daily, it's got to be with patience. That we over and over just say, you know what, Lord, I will continue to pray for this person. I will continue to interact with this person for however long that it takes. Be patient with yourself as you learn. Be patient with people who don't want to hear what you have to say. Be patient as God works on their heart. And so we fish for people. We fish with patience, but we also fish as we always are persevering. We always persevere. A a good fisherman will go from place to place if he needs to, all over that lake, looking, never giving up. The truth is, when you're trying to reach people, and you've got folks in your life, you say, you know what, they need Jesus so bad. And they drive me crazy. I mean, honestly, I just don't like them. But you know, like the shirt says, y'all need Jesus. You know, they, they, need, they need Jesus. And I don't mean that in just a cliche term. They need him to change their lives. And it is so hard sometimes to persevere with that person. Because you don't like them. And nobody else likes them either. And yet God has put you right there in their path every single day. And everybody else gives up on them. And everybody else walks away from them because they're they're a tough person to deal with. You don't see much progress. And you've been trying to love on them, and and maybe they've even asked you a couple of questions about your life. And and they'll they'll talk with you, but man, it's hard to get through to them. I wonder if you'd persevere with that person just one more day. And then the next day, just persevere with that person just one more day. And one more day. And one more day. The truth is, you and I can't save any souls, but we can answer the call of Jesus to persevere in our fishing for souls that God might reach them. We have a great example to follow. Jesus persevered, always being available to people. Always. You might be an introvert, but God can overcome even that fear of talking with people as he uses you. Jesus didn't show any favoritism. He just went for everybody. Totally sensitive to the needs around him all the time. Showing love and tenderness toward those that he sought to win. And ultimately, he went to where the fish were. Folks, as you leave this morning, the the fish are out there. The old signs in church used to say, as you leave, you are now entering the mission field. The fish are out there. Jesus would be counted among the tax collectors, the sinners, even the prostitutes. He would be called a friend of sinners, which was not a compliment. And yet that's where he went, to where the fish were. Let me encourage you this morning to answer the calling of Jesus Christ, to follow him. To leverage your life for him. Start today or start over today. I wonder what you hear him saying to you this morning. Do you hear him whispering in your spirit, follow me. I love you. I died for you. You're forgiven. You're free. 
Give everything to me. Follow me. Give it all to me. Do you hear him whispering to you, leverage your life for me. Leverage it all. Right where you are, even if you don't have all the answers. Follow me. Leverage it all for me. What will your answer be this morning? As Jesus whispers to your spirit, what will you say in response? My prayer is that you'll say, Lord, I will follow you. The Son of God, the one who died for me, the one who was raised to new life by God the Father. I will follow you. I will leverage everything for you. The calling of Jesus is to follow him, to leverage everything for him. Answer it this morning. Let's pray together. This morning, just there with your head bowed and eyes closed, you don't have to be a praying person. You can just kind of play along right now if you need to. But I wonder, maybe if God has said something to you this morning and you say, you know what, I, I've either, I, I know that I need to follow him or I need to be out fishing daily for him. But you know what, I just need you to pray for me because I'm going to struggle with that. There's an area in my life where I, I, I struggle to leverage it. For the cause of Christ. I, I, I want to be able to pray for you this morning. We don't try to embarrass anybody here at Elm Grove. But I believe that, that there's something powerful about just some simple accountability to say, you know what, I, I need to acknowledge this morning that, I, that God has spoken to me and I need you to pray for me. Now, if God has spoken to you and you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to stick around after the service and I want to talk with you a little bit encourage you, pray for you, help you understand more of what that means in your life. But this morning, just as we close, if, if you say, you know what, God has spoken to me and I just need you to pray for me. You don't have to acknowledge what it is. I won't ask you to give a speech. But all I ask you to do, as I often do, is just to lift your eyes and make eye contact with me and then you can put them right back down once our eyes have met. Say, God has spoken to me about something that has been said this morning and I just want you to pray for me. You lift your eyes, we'll make eye contact, and you can put them right back down. Let God work in your heart this morning to stir you, to follow Him more closely to leverage it all for him. Our Heavenly Father, this morning I pray specifically for those folks who say God has spoken to me this morning about something specific. Lord, you know what it is. And I pray even now in this moment that they would say yes to you. Yes, Lord, I follow you wherever you lead me. Lord, I don't know what it means, but God, I will follow you. Lord Jesus, I believe in you, and I'm going to leverage it all for you this morning. God, give them courage and boldness to do that. God, as a new school year is starting and has started, we pray, Lord, for our students and our teachers, and those involved in our educational systems. It will begin with them as they leverage their lives, not just for educational purposes, but for the cause of Christ. As we go to work every day, as we deal with people, help us, Lord, to follow you and to fish for those folks.
to be bold, to be used by you. Work on our hearts, Lord. Speak to us every day. Help us to follow you more closely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.